Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Uh, today, we're joined by Milton Collins. Um, Milton is a business coach, action coach. I was actually on uh, his podcast about a month ago, and I thought it'd be good for the audience to listen in to some different advice around business and maybe some structures and how we might think about business operation. Building a product and a technical product is one component of an operation. Uh, and a business, and it's important that we consider all other facets as well. Milton, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Andrew. Anthony, good to be here. I'm happy to have you on board. Always like to learn a bit about you, so I'd love for you to share your background, your history, and how you end up in the seat of uh, Action Coach. Sure. Um, I grew up on a, a country farm. Um, my parents had a beef cattle stud and wheat property, um, which I loved and, and bring involved in. And being on the farm, of course, you work there before school and after school. It's part of the family life, of course, and you, you contribute right through on weekends. Um, all our friends were in a country area, were similar, so you know, we went and visited friends, we did the same thing there too. Then off to boarding school, and then after boarding school, enough to Australian National University, where I did an economics degree. But what I wanted to do, I wanted to do hotel management. But in those days, my parents and the school said, that's not a real job. So get, get off and get a law or business degree first, and then if you want to do something else, you can rest back on that. So I was sort of, yeah, coerced into that more than, even though I did a lot of research, I wanted to go to Lausanne in Switzerland to do a hotel course. Uh, and I worked, I could work my way through that and pay for it, etc. But um, didn't happen. So ANU, actually loved it. It was great. Um, as a student in Canberra, it was fantastic. And uh, I was a competitive horse rider. So I had a horse up there and I started teaching horse riding, which paid for my going through university. Oh, so, um, <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a good that way to worked. do it. That's... Yeah, and it was a passion yeah. for me, but it was and it was great money. So yeah. um, it worked out very well. In fact, right through my career, I've ridden at an elite level, so I combined my professional career with horse riding. And uh, but the horse riding, I wrote manuals and tax planning for it when it's I just... was in the accounting firm, yeah. and um, developed myself as the Australian expert in performance horses. So that actually once again help pay for all the equestrian side too so was it equestrian side of stuff was that where it was yeah yeah was it country cross country horse riding as well so the whole yeah no really nice yeah three day eventing so it was a dressage across country to show jumping what they do at the olympics yeah Yeah, brilliant interesting yeah how far did you go with that uh to elite level so i rode internationally um throughout australia i rode against and um all the olympic riders are good mates of mine we competed together all the time and so, I was actually a business advisor and their accountant in every case. And classic, uh, manager. Yeah, so. Yeah. What did great. that teach you about life? That would have been a great experience to venture into that world. Yeah, it was, especially being an accountant, which is so fucking boring, it was really good to get and do something exciting yeah. and to train yes. for. Yeah. So I trained every day. I was up at 5 a.m. training horses out in the morning, did that, then off to work, which is a great contrast. But I, what I learned was, though, it was about that challenge. And it was also about being committed to train and what coaching was all about. I had I had a dressage coach, a show jumping coach, uh, a cross country coach, and a sports psychologist. Now, and without those people, I would not not have got to that level because my natural talent was nothing like what I achieved in the end through good coaching. So that was good. Yeah, from a coaching front, I think um, yeah, that always can step you up another level, and it's. I don't know if anyone's ever been exposed to a coach. Generally, it's a mindset thing, reality. 
um, a lot of mindset, a lot of how you think, how you're questioning. Um, a, a really good coach will dig in and sort of uh, probably ask more questions than actually anything. Um, yes, yeah, so that's what I've found across the journey of coaching, but we'll dig in a little bit more deep. But yeah, fascinating background. Mm. We, um, yeah, always loved riding a horse, but not at that level, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, brilliant. I'd like to have that. So anyway, yeah. after, after university, off to Price Waterhouse was my first job, uh, apart from the teaching of horse riding. And uh, that was great, great training ground, but it was very hard in the middle of Melbourne to be kept training my horses and the professional career. So I found a really good uh, accounting firm in the country that was progressive and one that I could actually keep developing my own professional skills, but also time to ride. So that was in Gippsland. And when I started there, we had three officers and I ended up helping them develop into 10 officers and 300 staff and in the end, nine partners. So we really grew it. Significant. Yeah. Impressive. But in that area too, we were just accountants. We did a lot of development with our clients. We had our own um, credit society. We did um, uh, insurance. We bought an AMP agency, which we also sold insurance to our clients. So I learned early on that once you've got a good client base, it's what else can you do with that client base that because you get to know them well, you know what else they need and you've got their trust. And that trust is so important because People do business with people they know, like, and trust. And that way you could develop that. Once we had the trust of the accounting and tax side, all the other was quite easy. And most people needed that process. And we only sold them what we knew they needed too. Yeah. That respect so was important. Making that product that right fit. Absolutely. Yeah, and also, we sort of from other accounts. You know, they, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they didn't do that, of course. They just did the tax or accounting and often not terribly well, whereas we could offer so much more to our clients. So our clients were a great referral base. They'd tell their friends about us and their business associates, and that was our greatest way to grow the business, which was great. How did you bring that together? Because I find that um, a business can be great in one area. Um, They might be delivering a particular service or a particular product, and they really hone in and understand that. And to bring in other skill sets and other means of delivery or products or services what were some of the challenges you had when doing that did you go through the acquiring process i think you mentioned that how did you bring that together because i think that's a good thing people could reflect on we made sure we had good people we trained people internally put a lot of time into our training but also where we went into say a new area like for example the insurance agency we bought an amp agent who was very successful but he could see to be involved with us as a partner in our business he had exposure to our clients that made his job so much easier. But we chose him because he was a top performer and he was actually one of our clients, which is how we knew all about him. And so he came in bringing his expertise and we then welded that together with us. We did the same with property development. We worked in, we did most of the development on Southgate in the early days, providing okay. all the okay. through that. Through, but once again, our part, there was a John Hopkins group and, um, so they provided all the development side and the marketing side. We provided the funding with our clients who'd love to be involved in that scenario to make some serious dollars. We, we sold as high risk. We said property development is not low risk, but the returns can be very good. And our clients wouldn't have had that exposure on their own right. So that they really enjoyed doing too. Yep. Yeah, fascinating. It's just finding the right opportunities to bring to people because yeah. you understand their business and their ins and outs of what they're doing. Yeah. You know, how to make that right fit. And we knew which clients to invite to do that, which one one could afford it, but also afford the risk. 
because that was really important too because we, you know, being accountants, we were risk averse. Um, so we want to look after our clients because we, we thought long-term. It wasn't short-term burning clients at all. It was very much about the long-term process. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it in terms of how you, I would consider that how you partner with businesses in effect to add more value to your client base um, mm. and how you bring that together from a, a, a corporate structure. There's a different thing, but yeah, no, interesting model. And it's generally no. the way accounting practices work is more that partnering side of things and bringing on partners, um, yes. but exposing it to different areas makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, in terms of, so the setting up the accounting practices grew to 10 practices. I think you mentioned 300 staff. That was quite a, a, a big feat. What was, what was after that for you? Yeah. After that, yeah. I, um, sold out and okay. went back to the hospitality that I wanted to do from the, from the early oh, days. Wow. <laughs> You've gone back to where you wanted to start. Yeah. 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 And, but in, during that time though, apart from specializing in for the performance horse industry, cause I'm like, Horse Association. I did a lot of work with hospitality and hotels and restaurants, etc., and became no, well known for that too. So I learned a lot about it too, because I had a passion for it. So I bought a rundown conference center in Woodend, and then we turned that around to really high end conferencing and restaurant. We won lots of awards through the process. Um, my whole market was rolled around inviting journalists. So I had journalists there every week. All it cost you was an overnight accommodation and a meal. And often I'd get a two or three page write-up with fabulous photos in Gourmet Traveller, Vogue, Delicious Magazine, The Age, Financial Review, plus all the TV programs like postcards and so on would come along and film us too. So the cost was virtually nothing, but that was so invaluable, that that uh, free advertising. And of course, people will... will in many cases, believe what's in the article as opposed to what's in an ad. And in most sightings, but any money apart from the entertaining them on advertising and build a whole project around that. And of course, once certain magazines are read about us, other journalists were attracting us too. They want to come and see for themselves and also do their own write-ups too. And we also made sure we focus on what each magazine was. For example, we had the Edna Wally Garden. So for all the gardening magazines and horticulturalists, we focused on that or on wine or on local food or on the conference market. It was all about business. So once again, it was looking at what our target market was and appealing to them. Yeah. Clever approach to getting exposure. <laughs> nice. Very good. So you used, and I think you mentioned off the camera, you sold out of that as well. Um, yes. Yeah. Sold out of that. And then after Is that, it? I was offered a role as CEO down at Fed Square running the Transport Hotel Group which had five venues at Fed Square, including the well-known Taxi Kitchen. They brought me back in to rebrand it because it sort of lost its way. It was very successful when it first started and then it really seemed to lose its way, even though it's a great location there. But um, that was disappointing. So I went there and just turned the whole place around. Within about um, well, 18 months, once again, we um, I got involved with the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. They had their major events there. Because I, I'd worked with them at Capacity House, they knew who I was. So it was an easy introduction again. Uh, so as a result, they did the major events there at Taxi Kitchen. They had their Legends Dinner there. I changed the wine list to, to do Victorian only, given their location. Is so it? Victorian tourism loved that. So they started having all their major functions at our venues there too. Um, the local winemakers throughout 
all throughout Victoria um, knew that we were focusing on Victorian wine, so they wanted to be there. And I was bold enough to say, if we don't see you here using our facilities and, hold, and holding your own events here, your wine won't stay on the list. And they said, yeah, we get it. You know, it's a two-way thing. Look after us, we'll look after you. So that gave a whole new focus to the business that wasn't there before. And as I used to say, and we taught our, our team to all about the local wine, but if people came and wanted Margaret River wine, we'd say, go to Margaret River. Yeah, we're about seasonal, regional wines that we understand. You're in Victoria. Enjoy what we've got to offer. We've got some of the best wines in the world. So there's no point having a wine that's from South Australia or Western Australia. And also I did that because the winemakers were most of my best customers and they also referred, whereas someone from Market River, I'd never probably see them. No, you wouldn't see them at all. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Interesting um, philosophy in terms of how you approach things and partner and collaborate with people in business. I've I've picked that up already pretty quickly in terms of how you (laughs) can see how you approach. In terms of um, all your experience in business, what, what has it taught you? So from coming from all the way down from accounting PwC at the beginning, or well, even the horse riding business at the beginning, right through to operating restaurants, hospitality, what's some of the things, biggest things that you've learned along the journey? Maybe three things that you've taken away and say, okay, if I'm really going to start anything in an industry that um, maybe I don't know, these are the three things I would consider. Yeah, yeah great, great question. Probably the first thing is that what makes you stand out from the crowd? What's your unique selling point? What do you do that's different that will attract your market so it's the people you want to work with? And um, I was always very targeted on who we wanted to work with that one, one they were, they were, they had the right product and also that they were, but more important, they were good to work with. Uh, we had a no dickhead policy always, and I still have Yeah, that. it's a good policy. Uh, I think one of the best ones. People you enjoy <laughs> hanging yeah. around with and a good conversation with. It's important. And even now with prospective clients, I'm really upfront that, you know, my clients choose me and I choose my clients. And if I can't make a difference to their business that they can see it's a really good return on investment, then I won't even offer them coaching or a business. And But more importantly, are they going to be coachable? Now we have some fun doing it. If we don't do that, then, you know, there's no point. Life's too short. I don't need that. Yep. No, you, no one needs the extra headache. It's, it's a relationship. Absolutely. It has to work both ways. And in fact, in the accounting, I used to have three other accountants' cards on my desk. And if someone came in that wanted to work with us, that I thought, no, it's not our target fit or they're going to be really painful, I'd give them a card so that we're not after you, but so-and-so down the road um, may be able to help you. And, yep. And um, that... And my team loved that. If, if we had difficult clients, they loved that I was happy to send them elsewhere rather than have to put up with these difficult clients that were going to be a loss for us anyway. Yeah, of course. So usually and they, then, they no, hard to deal with. They were disorganized. They were bad payers. There was always a, a, a stream. Yeah, there, they come with a lot of challenges sometimes, some people. Yes, For do. those clients, you also then have the ability, it's not a negative conversation because you're giving them a solution still. It's not just saying, we don't help you sort yep. it out on your own. Having yep. that ability to have that positive output regardless of how you feel about the relationship moving forward and redirecting yep. them is always a good thing. Thanks, Anthony. Yep. Spot on. So that was really important too. But also, whatever we do, we're in sales. If you deal with people, you're in sales. So you need to learn how to sell. 
Yeah, and that, but even when I was teaching horse riding, I had to sell my expertise in that area, especially as an accountant. You know, by doing all the other things we did, we were selling. You know, we, we're better because we can offer you this, this, and this in the business too that our competitors aren't doing. So, and even with friendships, you know, you've got to put time into that. You know, look after your friends. It's not. It's... Uh, it rewards and once, as I mentioned earlier, it's yeah, people do business or spend time with people they know, like and trust. And it's all about relationship building. And that's so important in, in business. It, it in the end it is all about relationships and you learn that across business. And yeah. I think being in sales is predominantly what you are if you're operating a business at the front and you're yeah. in front of people. That's it. It's sales and marketing one oh one. Yep. Provided you can back it up, well, that's that's really what business is. If you're not able to communicate or get your message out there, it becomes quite difficult to actually find, attract, um, mm. inspire is a word I look for in the Spashina Consulting's frame, how do we inspire people and yeah. to consider working with us and really rub off on them. Um, so that's one area that I find if you can inspire, it's easier to sell. Um, if it's in the world of innovation that we work with, that's one area that I like to hone in on. Um, but no like and trust, um, just old adages that people use, but they're, they're true. Um, mm. they're there for a reason. And yeah, if people can trust what you can do, if you can showcase trust, build that quickly, quickly within a conversation by showcasing who knows what it might be, testimonials, client case studies, referrals, um, or references, just think about how you might build trust in what you're doing, especially in the early days of business when people don't know who you are. Mm. And Andrew, the best way I found it is to listen. You've got yep. to be a listener. And if you can it just is. listen and let people tell you what their issues are, what's important to them, that's the most critical thing. And that yeah. builds the relationship. Yeah. And also, you know what to concentrate on too. Well, and what they need. Well, it's solving problems is in what every business does, right? It's not just about selling picks and shovels. It's going to solve a problem in the end or help them get to a solution. So, um, yeah, listening makes a lot of sense. In the world of you're working with a number of different businesses and obviously coaching, what are you finding in the marketplace? How's it sort of traveling in your mind and where are businesses at at the moment? I think it's a tough at the moment because I've come out of the pandemic, of course, although most of my clients thrived in the pandemic. You know, we made sure they were quick to adjust. Say, like, okay, where can we turn this to an advantage? And some of them had their best years ever during so, the pandemic. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Those like, for example, the restaurants that pivoted and started doing takeaway, et cetera, even the high-end restaurants, did exceptionally well. There was one client of mine that was very successful in Melbourne. And you know, when they pivoted, one Friday night, they sent out 600 meals at well, high dollar figure. And they wow. were a high-end restaurant. They weren't. And in fact, they were making more money because... The government was providing, paying most of their staff during the time when they had the wage just covered, but they didn't need them in the business because they didn't have to have front of the house. Waiter staff were in the yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And so, in fact, some of the white staff were out delivering food. That was <laughs> well, real yeah. yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. give them they the job too. They did really well and built a reputation for that. And now yeah. ongoing, they've got a separate division sat doing the takeaway food, but not at the restaurant. They do it out of a factory somewhere cheaper. Yeah, and hilarious. that all turned around too. So they've yeah. created a new revenue stream, whole different business yeah. model and taking advantage of it. Yeah. 
Six hundred meals would that be more than what they would normally do in a sitting sit down restaurant? Yeah, it would. Yeah, sounds like a lot. Six hundred meals is huge. The number of seats they they couldn't seat that number of people. This 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 place would always do at least two sittings a night, sometimes three. Yep. But um, yeah, it was amazing that's how they could turn around and provide employment and revenue and profits. What do you find? What's what makes a good business owner that's willing to just move with the change? Because I feel like when in there, when there's big change, opportunity opens up. Um, yep. And if you're willing to look and question how you've been doing things, and make that decision to say, okay, we'll draw a line in the sand. We're gonna have to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you find are the the people in business that really do that well and are successful in that? And do they do they just move at the times and just say, okay? Yep, we're happy with change. We can evolve with it and just learn as we go. Or do you find that they're more strategic in their approach, think about it, look at all the angles, and then make a decision? What's some of the insights that you found on the journey of those people that really take advantage of those opportunities? Yeah, great question. Why start with all of my clients, especially new clients, say, okay, where do you want to be? And the most important thing I'll try and get across is I want to build for them a business that can work without them. So it's most, because most cases, it's the owners that hold the business back. Yes, they might be the leader. Yes, they might be the founder and they drive it. However, they can't be all things to everybody. So they're better off putting people around them in systems they've developed so they know that they're going to follow a system. They have good people that are well-trained well looked after and they have good KPIs so they know how they're measured and how they're going what's expected from them and that's what will grow the business. And having that team approach, you've not just got one person, you've got yes, you've got the owner or owners, and they may drive the business, but they're relying heavily on a really good team around them. And by doing that it doesn't restrict growth. I used to find with my team, we used to do always a SWOT analysis, which I know is very old fashioned, but what we loved about it, though, I have the whole team involved. And often it was some, the youngest person, or least experienced, had some of the best ideas because they didn't have that history behind them or we'd always done it that way. And they questioned why we did certain things and often came up with great ideas. But also the whole team understood what we're trying to achieve because they're all involved in that. So with each of the SWAT, the, SWAT, you know, the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, the threats, Everything we did, we then allocated to one of the team members. And their role was to either improve it, research, maintain, depending on what it was, so that it was always we dealt with it. Because often I see with clients, they do a SWOT analysis. It's great on the day, but then nothing happens afterwards. They get back to the coalface. They're so busy trying to run the business that nothing happens. Yeah, it's back to so business we'll, as usual they, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. by allocating to an individual, they took ownership. They felt part of the business. It, it meant so much more than just trying to solve or maintain that problem. But also then it was reviewed. You know, in another 12 months' time, we do it again. It's okay, let's start off with what, what it was 12 months ago, how we moved. It's that incremental improvement, right? Continuously looking at business, solving problems within it because no yep. business is perfect. And I think you realize that pretty quickly that um, it is always got a, there's always a problem to solve within the confines yep. of any business. Um, and it's prioritizing those and looking at what's going to deliver the most value or get you to that in the game or in that you're targeting. So, yeah, good place to always start. In terms of working with a coach, um, 
why would you recommend someone engage as a coach, especially in the in the world of business? Um, I know I would give you some answers, but I'd like to hear from you. Um, what are some of the things and reasons why a business should engage as a coach? They're either in early stages or they've, they've got a business that's operating, but they may be plateauing. What's some of the things that a coach can bring to the, the conversation? For a start, they can stand back and look at the business. You know, they can see the wood through the trees because they're not emotionally involved. And also that if they're good coaches, they've had experience in a, in a range of clients and a range of businesses. But more importantly, a good coach's own businesses. You've got to you've got to have the runs on the board, and you've got to have those times where you don't know how you're going to pay the wages, you know, and when you've got to that's all comes through. Reality of business, mate. It happens. <laughs> yeah, it happens. You know, I yeah. see like consultants yeah. say that they've, they've they've only ever been on on wages. They've yeah. never had that yeah. that process of really when a buck stops here, yeah. and that that to me is really important to have that empathy with business owners yes, and that way you get the respect too yeah. but to me it's about holding accountable it's actually setting visions and goals and then monitoring that and then holding people accountable my coaches through the horse riding that's where I learnt they held me accountable you know they and they pushed me beyond what I thought I could achieve smartly though they knew that by a gradual process that I could improve beyond what my natural ability was. And I think that's the same with business too. If you've got a good strategy there and you've got someone that's holding you accountable and looking at the next steps so that it's not too overwhelming. So with my clients, yes, we look at long-term goals, where they want to be, but then I break it down to 90-day plans. So in the next 90 days, what are we going to achieve that heads towards our major goals in the future? So what's most important that we need to do now in the next 90 days that's going to build the business or maintain it or grow it or franchise, a whole range of things they could be wanting to do with the business. But that's it's got to be broken down into steps. And that's where a good coach can make yes. a huge difference because it's so overwhelming yourself in your own business that to have someone who can stand back and help you strategize it makes a big difference. And with that experience, I think one of the key things is yeah, if you're going to work with a coach, work with someone that's been in business, I think that's a must. Oh, that's a given. Um, I would, I would agree with that. Is a must. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I had in my heart would have never worked with anyone that's never been in business because I don't understand the, the the challenges that you have as being a business owner. Um, because yep. it's no smooth sailing. Um, yep. We started our business in 2008, so way yep. back when. Um, yeah. We were two kids at a uni. It's the reality. Anthony was still studying. He was doing his masters. Yeah. And we thought it might be a bright idea to try and start something. That was, that was, if I went back to that person at that age, I would have said, go get a job first. Um, but it's been a fun learning experience. And I think um, there's been times, like you said, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. But there's times where things are going that great that you, you yeah. don't, everything just seems to be flowing. Um, yeah. And there's moments in business where you make a decision that we need to invest here and strategize here and that's completely a wrong decision and you're reflecting on shit a wasted quarter of a million dollars investing in this area or whatever it might be and that's business um there's no there's no silver bullet in terms of business but i think it's just one of the big things from a coaching perspective or just having advisors from the outside in um it's like that young person that's in the business they don't they don't necessarily understand the business end to end and why it's done things in a certain way 
and that will give you different reflections and having different insights from different industries is a big thing. So a coach just, that's been in just in your industry may not be the best coach, I think. I think having people with different perspectives is also um, an interesting way to take it because you will learn something from one industry you can bring to another. They can really change the way and the dynamic and how you operate and differentiate quite quickly. So that's my sort of two cents on the coaching world and um, yeah, um, how I would frame it. But the 90-day plan, it's a must because when we look at if we've got a big goal ahead of us, sometimes that can be overwhelming and it's like, Jesus, how the hell are we going to get there? But if you yeah. break it down, it's all right. If we hit this in 90 days and we tick this, 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 and this off, um, you start to establish momentum and a bit of belief because in the end, it's all really a belief system. Can we really, do we believe we're going to get there? And in the world of your horse riding days, I would imagine you had a frame of where you were in the, the world, the confines of competition. But as soon as you improve the one area or achieve something new, your belief system changes. And then all of a sudden you're in a different category. So it's the same in business in my, in my sort of thinking back as to how it sort of impacted us over the journeys. Yeah. And I think that's spot on, Andrew, what you said there too. Mm -hmm. And I know with my horse riding, because with. because I was also a professional, I was involved in uh, uh, starting a horse riding group. So I was on the Equestrian Federation of Australia and, and involved all the decision-making too. And that also gave me responsibilities. And I learned a lot from that too. But because I was a, you know, a pretty good horse rider, but not as good as the really top ones, but I was respected. And they wanted me to do the other roles they couldn't do. So that that was a great introduction too, I think. So it's that whatever we do, you can apply those to whatever else you're doing and build it as a whole and make yep. sure that greater but the sum parts obviously bigger than each individual part. Yeah, yep. brilliant. In terms of a business, this is always a question. Working in and on the business, you will, you will get that. Um, yeah. <laughs> The balance can sometimes be challenging within business. It's mm. you're putting out fires, you're trying to solve the current day's problem, but you're trying to work towards a two, three year plan or a 12 month plan or that 90 day plan. How do you balance that when things become a little bit overwhelming in the day to day? By setting up good systems. I'm a great believer in systems and the system might start with just a checklist. That's the, the first stage, you know, what we have to do to go through the process and if you've got people work, I get them to do their own. If, it, if there's not proper systems in place, those that say, what did you do today? You know, what do you do to get your role done? What has to happen? And you start with a checklist and that eventually develops into basically an office manual that this is how we do it in our business. Because if you don't have that system there, even the best of people will do it their way, thinking of doing the right thing, but may not be what you want to achieve in the business. Or they may not understand the whole process. And consistency is so important. Delivering a good quality project can only be done if you've got good system to back that up so that you get counteract problems. But with problems, I used to love it when things went wrong because that goes an opportunity to fix it and build a relationship. Because, for example, in a restaurant, if you go along and you have good food and good service, you sort of expect that. But if something goes wrong and your team over-deliver, I don't mean giving away free drinks or anything, it's one, listening to thanking them for what went wrong and we used to say look come back again let's get it right and we'll look after you and so we rarely we built a relationship and often they become our best customers because we'd establish a rapport with them because we cared 
And that, that was the big difference, whereas sometimes you don't have the opportunity to show that. Yeah, fascinating. And care is very important in the world of business, um, putting customers top of mind and putting building empathy around their perspective and where they are. Um, yeah. So in our world, we've, we work with a lot of customers that are been building technology and had a lot of challenges along the journey, and that's tough. And working with one, I won't name names, but um, person <laughs> at the moment who has spent a whole lot of money and it's probably at his last end as to how much he can invest in what he's trying to achieve. And he sort of put his hand in heart and said, this is all I've got to get this right. And I said, well, let's just slow down before you speed up then, because if we're going to just keep moving and you're moving in the wrong direction, then where are you going to end up? You're going to hit a wall and there's no there's no other place to go for you. Um, so I just sat with him, understood his world and really got to where he yeah. was and really just slowed him down, built, built, I would say build, you built, building trust, but also showcasing how you can help him get from where he is now to actually where he needs to be and showcasing that maybe what he was thinking is not where he needs to be. So that's a more of a coaching city. And I find that we can be in the world as consultants, you can sort of be in the world a bit of coaching too, because um, if you're a good consultant, you're going to be also coaching and advising and guiding yeah. along the journey. So um, yeah, it is, it's a fascinating world, the world of business, but yeah, that care piece um, and just having that time, energy, and just really getting to know people and who they are and what they're trying to achieve. It's yeah. 101. It's probably, the, it's, it's the best thing you can do in business because um, you understand them and then you can really deliver from the fronts of who they are. Um, not just what your business does in a process. I think sometimes we've been, in, I've been in that place where I've just, we'll sell our process, but our process doesn't really fit the client needs. They need to a different way of thinking or a different yeah. process. So um, sometimes you have to evolve with the client too. And that care piece um, helps you get there. Mm. But a good system for all A is to do that, of course. Yeah, definitely. Because so yeah. number one, as you said, this is, is what the client needs. Yes. And so if they don't know themselves, mm. what they need to well, most of them don't. Most of the time they don't. <laughs> well, you would find that too, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Most don't really know what they need. They're just coming. Yeah. They would have a problem and their problem might be lack of revenue or their problem might be, I need more customers. It's generally for own the world of business. Yeah. Key problems are I'm not making enough money um, or business is stagnant or business is declining. They're probably yeah. things you see quite often, I would imagine. Um, and people are looking, how do we change, evolve, innovate, do something different? Where I'm lucky, apart from you know owning these product broad base of businesses in the past, but as an accountant too, I've worked with so many different businesses and seeing what works and what doesn't, I can apply that that history and background to a whole range of businesses too. Because and as you said before, I don't have to know about that to business because in fact better I don't. It's better I dig down and ask more questions and and challenge why you're doing certain things. That way it helps cement a, a much better business uh, model rather than knowing too much about it because it, it's applying other skills and techniques that make a big difference. It's as a, a Milton, who's your ideal client? Like, oh. we're obviously talking about business and some of the most important things are how you consider, how you strategize, build some accountability. If someone's interested in talking to you about coaching, who's the ideal client for Milton? Yeah, ideal client is someone with that wants to grow and develop their business. That's someone who is coachable, and that's really important too. 
it's got to be someone, as I said before, it's got to be fun to work with because then you'll both achieve so much more if there's, because then you'll develop respect for each other and have some fun along the way. But also, it's got to be a business worth working towards because I've had some clients say, well, look, really, this business is going nowhere. Get out. You know, do something else because for whatever reason, it doesn't have a future because you might love it, but unless you've got um, potential clients that love it, how are you going to sell it? It's, it's not really what's the point. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I use, I have seen, you know, I've seen that before. Or that, or they've got the wrong skills, and I can see they're not going to be able to develop those skills to run that type of business too. Then, but better suited going elsewhere, or in some cases, being an employee. Because so often, I know in the accounting world, I had clients that, you know, they'd leave really good paying jobs to run their own business. And never earn that sort of money again. And not that money's everything, that's far from it. You know, there are other reasons why they wanted to do it. But in hindsight, they bought themselves a poor paying job. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't yep. it? And I see oh, that in so yeah. many businesses. It's well the reality is they're probably good at what they did, but business is not just the doing, it's everything else around it. Yeah. It's the sales, it's the marketing, it's the communication, it's the managing team, it's the leadership skills. Yep. Yeah, it's the accounting skills. If you don't have those, you can put yourself in a big hole pretty quickly. Um, And there's so many things in between. It's not just about the delivery because generally people that rock up into a business, and we started that, we'll focus on delivery, deliver product. But reality is that's 10%, 20% of the business because there's all these other moving parts. Um, I I think trades are even more obvious. Like so often I'd see a plumber Mm. who's a good plumber and he decided to go out on his own. Yep. And then straight away, yes, he was a good plumber, but he had no idea about accounting and marketing and getting new clients. Yep. And usually his poor wife would be dragged into it. He had less skills and she'd have to do all the bookkeeping and all the paperwork and uh, book appointments and everything else. One probably didn't want to be doing that, didn't have the skill set, had no training, but that seemed to be typical. That, yeah. Uh, it's and, interesting, and other, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's the um, you don't get the, taught any of that stuff generally. No one teaches you that unless you're willing to learn it, or you actually go to a, an MBA or something like that to give you some yeah, context or a focused area, and you'd learn it as you go. Anthony is uh, our key architect, CTO of the business, and loves marketing. So he goes and plays in marketing and writes articles and um, <laughs> enjoys that content space. about yeah, what I know. Yeah, it's interesting. So. Um, you'll find that you might like other areas of business too um, once you get exposed to business. But the accounting and doing... the, that section, <laughs> don't but like I'm that not, at all. People, but I'm, I'm not, not so not great people believer in, unless you want to learn or develop those skills, employ someone who's got those skills. Because well, in some cases, you're much better off with the right planning and you obviously got to have the cash flow to do it, but in planning to get the best skills to do it. I've always tried to surround myself with people better than me in skills that I've always never been frightened of that. I want someone much smarter than me to be doing those different roles and it pays off. And they stay. You're better off hiring someone to do the jobs you don't like because you'll never do them as good as the jobs you do like. Exactly. Simple as that. I agree. That or you don't have the skill set, you know, or the ability to, you know, be honest, it's... uh, Everyone's different yeah. and everyone likes yeah. different things. And if you're doing stuff you don't like 80% of the time, you're not going to enjoy your business. Yeah, and you won't yeah. do it right either. You won't put all the 100, 100% effort in. 
Exactly. You don't but like it, so you though, don't commit to it properly. Because you're better off using your skill where you're yeah. earning three, four, five hundred dollars an hour because, and then pay someone thirty or forty dollars to do the bookkeeping or something. Is or it, you know, that's crazy because you're probably a lousy bookkeeper anyway. Hate doing it. Yeah, as long as you understand what the opportunity yeah. cost is, you can make that yeah. decision and understand if Absolutely. it's worth it. Yeah. Yep. Spot on. Oh, brilliant, Milton. If anyone wants to find out about you, what's the best place to find you? Obviously, on LinkedIn, Milton Collins. Um, and then you mentioned you've got a website, I believe. LinkedIn. And the website yep. is miltoncollins.actioncoach.com. Yep. Or just Google me, Milton Collins. I'm sort of all over the place. Facebook, <laughs> me. Yeah. Oh, I promise we'll put those links out when we... I've been, I've been around a while, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put those links out when we post the episode. And thanks for joining us, Milton. It's been a good conversation around holistically how we can think about business and some of the challenges we might find on us the journey and the advantages of coaches. We've got coaches in our business and have had probably for about seven, eight years. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's always important to good and surround yourself with good people, um, yeah. advisors, people that can think differently and give you different perspectives. And that's still what I find with any coach, it's all about different perspectives and opening up the, the blinkers or the blind spots to what you don't know um, and what else might be possible. So um, thank you again for joining us on Dev Ready Podcast and um, we'll be in touch. Thank you. Thank you very much for the time. Thoroughly enjoyed talking to you both. It's great. Cheers, Milton. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.